Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. Uh, We're going to jump into a five-part series uh, to finish out the summer on the book of Jonah. So I'm curious... How many of you in this room would say that you feel like you're familiar with the story of Jonah? Just kind of raise your hand. Okay. That is going to be a problem we're going to have to overcome uh, over the next five weeks, and here is why. When you think of the book of Jonah, what part of the story immediately comes to mind? The whale, the fish, exactly. It's actually not called a whale. And Jonah is just referred to as a big fish. I googled uh, just Jonah sermon series graphics just to see what popped up. And not surprisingly, almost all of them looked like this. Well, we'll see. There's one. Apparently there was giant killer whales in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, there's another one. There's another one. Almost all of them <laughs> feature a big whale. So uh, I want to let you in on a secret. Jonah getting swallowed by the fish is not the main point of the book of Jonah. So repeat after me. It's not about the fish. There we go. So the fish shows up in one verse. That's it. Um, but I want to show you. So if you don't know, Abby Scahan is on, is on staff. She does all our graphics. And she designs custom graphic packs for every series that we do. And she does an incredible job. And so I gave her the assignment of, you know, some context of, you know, she'd have maybe the city of Nineveh and something about the hot sun and a prophet walking away. The only instructions I gave her were no fish. So this is what she came up with. I thought it was great, except for she got me and snuck a fish in. (laughs) See the watermark. And she's like, I still had to sneak it in. But... She does a really good job in putting together. I was like, ah, I caught you uh, at, at putting these together. But one of the things that piqued my interest and gave me a desire to preach through the book of Jonah was actually a sermon series I heard a few years back from uh, Tim Mackey, who is the kind of the head of the Bible project. And he explained the book of Jonah and, you know, explained the literature and the narrative arc and just kind of opened my eyes to see the book of Jonah in a way that I'd never seen before. I think, you know, I studied it, read it, and just didn't quite know what to do with it. And uh, it, was, it was such a great series that helped me understand, you know, not only the Bible is literature, but Jonah is literature. And, you know, the book of Jonah, it's a very sophisticated and surprising book. It is not this simple flat tale of a, of a man, a whale, and some Ninevites. It is a really sophisticated story that's full of irony and humor. And the story that Jonah's telling ends up actually being different than the one that, uh, that we think it's telling because when we think about Jonah, all we think about is the whale. So that's kind of our, our first kind of hurdle to understanding the book of Jonah. But the second disadvantage that we have in coming to Jonah is uh, not only do we only think about the whale often, but I would guess that most of your knowledge of the book of Jonah comes from something like this. (laughs) Veggie Tales, which makes it even harder to uh, 
understand the real story of Tim Mackey when he was giving his sermon series talking about how like some of these stories are told to us in kids' versions and they're not kids' stories at all. He said, when I read it to my son, he's like, almost all of the stories leave out chapter four. Leave out the entire end of the book and they end with like, oh, isn't it great? The Ninevites repented and not the part where the prophet of God is so upset about that that he says, God, just kill me because I would rather live in a world where I die than Ninevites repent. Apparently that's not like a, okay, now go to bed, Johnny. (laughs) That's why it doesn't fit into the end of the story. Whenever I think of Jonah, uh, I can't not think about uh, Pinocchio. Like just this scene always, always comes into my head. Um, But here's the thing. Jonah's not a kid's story, and the Bible is not a children's book. Even though, you know, we can teach it to children, the Bible is not a children's book. And so we miss, again, the depth and the real meaning of some of these stories because we've flattened them out. And in doing so, I think we lose some of the truths and the conviction of what God is really trying to teach us. So my hope is, in this short series, we will all see this book anew. And maybe understand for the first time what God's message to us is through the, pro- through the story of the prophet Jonah. So you guys ready? Even if you're not, we're going. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1. Um, if you don't, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. Um, but this is the beginning of the book of Jonah. And it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so reading any book of the Bible requires at least a big picture understanding of the stories that were being told before and after and kind of situating yourself in the story to understand it. Have you ever had the experience of just watching a random show on Netflix or TV and you realize you just watched episode seven of season three? And you kind of understand a little bit, but there's so much going on that you have no clue. Um, and then when you get that, you're like, I get it. That's why everyone's interacting the way they are. And, and so the Bible is sort of like that. Uh, you, cannot, you, you could read Jonah and still get some truth out of it. But to really get some of the, the depth or the zingers or what's going on, you have to have a little bit of an understanding of the story. So the opening lines of Jonah are actually loaded with meaning and contain several things that the author writing would have just expected his original audience to pick up on. Like they wouldn't have had to have this explained to him. Because Jonah begins by saying, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And that gives us a major clue as to what type of book is this. The Bible just didn't fall out of the sky completed. It's a collection of 66 different books written at different times and in different genres. So this opening line clues us into what type of book this is. Uh, The word of the Lord in the Old Testament comes to prophets. Now, a prophet is, you know, the basic definition of a prophet is someone who just speaks on God's behalf. So they're messengers to the people. And so in every book of the prophets that starts off pretty similar to this, there's an introduction. And then what comes after that is a series of a collection of stories or words or oracles by the prophet to the people. So for example, Micah, which is the very next book, starts off this way. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So right after that introduction, the whole rest of the book is, you know, words from Amos 
to, uh, to Israel you know, through, through God. And that's just kind of how the books of the prophet work. So when you start off reading Jonah and you see this introduction, you think, huh, I know what type of book this is and I know how it's supposed to operate. So reading that first line and thinking that, would you be right going into the book of Jonah? Uh, you'd be in the words of my kid's favorite podcast. You'd be worse than right. You'd be wrong. <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> uh, what you would expect from Jonah coming from this first line, again, is a collection of prophecies and things you know, to the people of Israel. Instead, what you get is actually a story about a prophet instead of words from the prophet. It's the only one that's written in this way, which makes it unique. It's a narrative about a prophet, not the words of a prophet. And Jonah is the only named character in the story. Almost all the other prophetic books, they go way out of their way to situate them in history. So they'll name, like even in Amos, he, he specifically named all of the kings. You know, this has the, the king of Nineveh mentioned, uh, his title, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he's just kind of mentioned as a king of Nineveh with no name. So I think this is giving us some clues as we come to it. What type of book are we reading? And what type of literature is this? There are really two, two big views on Jonah, on what type of literature it is, and two big views that are held by, uh, I would say, followers of Jesus and scholars who hold to the authority of Scripture, hold to an inerrancy, believe the Bible's God's word, you know, the, like we do. The two big views of Jonah are, the first is this, it's the author has recorded a historical account of what happened to the prophet Jonah that you know, has the a brief history of a revival in the city of Nineveh, and this is the uh, historical account that he is recording. That's one view, very common. Another view is this, is that Jonah is a form of narrative parable that uses a real historical figure, the prophet Jonah, but the author does not intend us to read the story as history, but intends us to read it as a parable. Sort of like uh, when Jesus told the, the parable of La the rich man and Lazarus, he uses a named character, Lazarus, sets him in a scene, and it's intended to be read as a parable. So those are kind of the two main options. But here's where it gets tricky. Uh, depending on kind of what tradition you grew up in, your view on Jonah then becomes a litmus test on whether you believe in miracles or whether you believe in the authority of Scripture, which I really don't think is a helpful kind of paradigm because all followers of Jesus believe that Jesus was the son of God, lived the perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and is coming back to transform the entire cosmos. That's a much bigger miracle than whether someone could survive in the belly of a fish for three days. So whatever view you take on Jonah, that it's historical or a narrative parable, I find myself really going back and forth. Some days I am like feel like I'm fully convinced, and then I read him like, oh, I don't know. Um, Whatever view you take on it, here is what all kind of scholars agree on that helps is this. Jonah is satire. Jonah is written as satire. And if we kind of make a modern day comparison, some, a pastor was saying, if you want to understand the literature of Jonah, picture uh, Saturday Night Live meets a comic book. 
That is the style of writing that Jonah is. You know, satire, what it does is it takes known characters and it places them in extreme scenarios. And the stories that they are telling are funny, ridiculous, over the top. But these stories aren't just stories. What they are is they're about you. Satire is almost designed to critique you while making you laugh. It's like, and so I say all that to say both sides, whether you believe it's a historical account or historical parable, all scholars say this is what it is. Um, it is, it is written as satire. Cause here, just here's a couple of things. Nobody is operating in this story as you would expect. You have Jonah, the prophet of God. He is the most faithless, hard-hearted, worst person in this story. The good guy is the bad guy. And the really bad guys, the Ninevites, who you probably don't have a category for how awful the Ninevites are, but the Ninevites, they were the most ruthless and violent empire that ancient Near East had ever known. Israel's bitter enemies... They hear a lame five-word sermon from Jonah, and they repent in sackcloth and ashes. Jonah says that the repentance was so great that even the cows repented in sackcloth and ashes. So not everything is as, as as it seems. You know, Jonah, again, the man of God, when he sees Nineveh repents, is so upset that he wants to die. And the pagan sailors are so attuned to what God is doing that after they throw Jonah in the water, they on their wooden ship, do a burnt sacrifice to God. Everything is kind of wonky and not how it should be. But I say all of this again to orient us so we can hear what God is wanting to say to us through his word. Because if God chooses to write to us through satire, then we should read it that way and hear his word to us and submit ourselves to his word in whatever form it comes to us in. This is God's word to his people, one that we all need to hear. So let me again read the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. It's a hard word to say, Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here is kind of the first little bit of humor that gets put in. Jonah's name means dove, and his father's name means true or faithful or faithfulness. So dove, son of faithfulness, is the least faithful character and the least innocent character in the story. This is like when, you, when a really large, oversized person is given the nickname Tiny. Like, it's that kind of thing. Or Shorty. Dove, son of faithfulness. And the reader, you'd be reading it because you know a little bit about Jonah. Think, ha, oh, that isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Sure, Dove, son of faithfulness. Uh, Jonah, he, he was a historical figure. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.24. We don't know much about him from 2 Kings other than he was the prophet that prophesied for Jeroboam II in favor of him, who was one of the, uh, his dad was the worst king, and he wasn't much better. This is what Second Kings says about uh, Jeroboam II. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, his father, which he made, which he made Israel to sin. So as a reader, you're hearing Jonah, and you're already a little suspicious because he's the prophet that prophesied for one of the worst kings in Israel. And then God sends Jonah to Nineveh, which is interesting because this is the only time where a prophet is sent to a pagan nation to call them to repent. Sometimes prophets had prophesied against pagan nations, but this is the only time where a prophet is sent. And God sends Jonah to Nineveh, which is part of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, about just the history of the Assyrians. They were brutal. Uh, Think of some of the worst uh, warfare tactics. It was was the most advanced uh, army in the ancient Near East at the time. They were very professional, but they used kind of fear and brutality to conquer people. So often they would siege a city, they would take people, they would decapitate the leaders, they would skin people alive, they would make you, uh, they would put your relatives' heads on a spike and make you walk around with them. Like, really, really bad people. And, and for Israel, this wasn't just, oh yeah, those people back then. No, they were Israel's enemies. Uh, we have, uh, I'm going to show it to you next week. They, there's a, in, in Nineveh, they have, um, it's in the, I think the British Historical Museum right now, but they basically, one of the kings destroyed the city of Joppa, was a Jerusalem city. And then he had a, these carvings put uh, on, on, on his wall to celebrate it. And you see the story of, you know, Nineveh the, the destroying Joppa. And it's brutal, all the carvings, and it goes from beginning to end. So God sends a, a, probably a faithless prophet to Israel's greatest enemy and calls them to repent. What type of story are we about to read here? What is God wanting to teach us? Again, I can't think, I don't think we can comprehend the emotional reaction to the, to the readers when they heard that Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And here's what, the, here's what, here's what Jonah does. There's, there's a little wordplay here. It says, God says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah rose or arose and went to Tarshish. You probably don't come in here having a kind of an understanding of where those things are on a map. So I have a little map for you to show you where these, where these places are located. So, jo- so Joppa is, is, is right there. So, so Jonah, when he was told to go to Nineveh, which is like 550 miles east over land, what he does is he gets up, goes down to Joppa, and gets on a ship to go to Tarshish. Which most people think that the reason why, like Tarshish, that was the edge of the known world on their maps. So that was the equivalent of you could not think of a place that was further in the direction of where you're supposed to go. And it's like, you're supposed to go east over land. No, I'm going west over sea. You know, I was thinking, so the distance between Joppa and Tarshish is the distance between Boston and Las Vegas. So it's like, and then, uh, Nineveh to Tarshish is like 3,000 miles. He just tries to go as far as he can. And his goal is to flee from the presence of the Lord. And this is where, right here, where the message of Jonah stops being a story about a prophet 
and a fish and some Ninevites and also starts being about us. Because Jonah did not start running from God's presence until God's plans for his life went against what Jonah wanted his life to be about. I think Jonah was pretty content until God's call on him went against what Jonah wanted his life to be about. You know, even though the Assyrians and the Ninevites were brutal, we see in the story Jonah was not running because he was afraid. Jonah was running because he did not want his legacy to be that he was the prophet that brought repentance to Nineveh. He did not want to be the guy that God's mercy flowed through to a group of people that he felt deeply and strongly didn't deserve it. He says, I do not want my life to be about. He didn't want his legacy to be this. And deep down, Jonah was worried that if he obeyed God, he was going to miss out on the life that he wanted. Deep down, Jonah was worried that if he obeyed God, he was going to miss out on the life that he wanted. What a irrelevant old story, huh? I think we have probably all been there. Where we are worried if we obey God, if we obey God's call on us, that we're going to miss out on the life that we want. And in the first three verses of Jonah, we're confronted sort of with this question. In what ways am I running from God? Notice they didn't ask, are you running? It's much more, in what ways am I running from God? Because I think in little and small ways, we all have areas of our life we are going in the opposite direction of what God wants for us. Does that hit home a little bit? We all have areas in our life that we know God is calling us this way. But we're worried if we go this way, it is going to mess up some plans we have for our life. And instead, we either stay put passively or we actively decide to go the other way. We are afraid that if we say yes to what God wants, we are going to miss out on the life that we want. You know, Jonah, he is really an illustration also of disobedience. Because in the Old Testament, one of the most common words for repent is the Hebrew word shuv, which simply means to turn back, to turn around. That's what repentance means. So if repent is to turn around, to disobey would be to just keep going in the opposite direction. And who more than Jonah is going in the opposite direction? Again, he's running to the edge of the map to get away from what God wants. So let me ask you again this, this, this question. Um, in what ways are you running? You know, I was re- one, one, one pastor I heard talking about Jonah said this. Jonah thought he was running for his life. The irony is Jonah was running from his life. You know, Jonah thinks he is running for his life to get away. But the irony was we see that Jonah is running from his life. That Jonah is running from the call God has on him. So in what ways are you running? And I, and I probably don't have to give you a whole list of possible ideas. Like, oh, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this. Because probably deep down, the Holy Spirit is already prompting you right now. And you have some ideas on what ways you are going in the opposite direction of, of what God is calling you to. You know, this, uh, you know, Thursday I was sitting over this and, and praying, and it was really challenging because, you know, God was opening my eyes 
some areas of my life where maybe I wasn't fully running, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not going the direction you're calling me, or I'm passively sitting here. And uh, you all know, like if you have kids, there's several ways to disobey. You can run the other way or just plug your ears, pretend you don't hear. Both kind of accomplish the same thing. But here's some good news for people like us from the book of Jonah. God's mercy, patience, and forgiveness, it's always greater than we can imagine. God's mercy, patience, and forgiveness is always greater than we can imagine. Because the invitation is, stop running. Turn around. Return to me. Repent. That is that invitation. And if God could offer that to the Ninevites, for sure he is offering it to us. And the invitation is, stop running. Stop fleeing. Stop thinking that if you, if you disobey, that you know, you're going to find the life that you want. Because the good life is not found in running to Tarshish, no matter how much you think it is. And as we transition to communion this morning, I was, I was kind of struck with this. You know, Jonah runs, to God, runs from God's call because he doesn't want God to show mercy to undeserving sinners. Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus does not run from undeserving sinners. Jesus runs to them. We see Jesus coming to us because Jonah's critique we see in chapter four of God was basically this. You are too consistent with your character. I don't want to go to the Ninevites because they don't deserve mercy and they deserve destruction. But you are a God who is so, (laughs) that it is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So that's who you are. And I'm terrified if I go, that's going to happen. So just kill me because I don't want to (laughs) go. Jonah's critique was, God, you are too consistent with your character. And God's grace and mercy is so overwhelming that even Ninevites can repent and be pardoned. And God's grace and mercy is so overwhelming that even sinners like us can be pardoned. Sinners like us who are so blind to our sin that we can sit here this morning at times and not even be aware of our need. God's mercy and grace is for people like us. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.